Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Sally A. from South Jersey and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, February 16th, 2016. Today we are reading from the AA Big Book and we will begin reading on the top of page 32 in the chapter of More About Alcoholism beginning with the first paragraph that begins, though there is no way of proving it, we believe. Today's readers are for the 12 steps, Janice M.O., for the 12 traditions, Nancy T., and our readers of the text will be Chelsea H., Martha Z., and Lisa H. The reference number for Monday, February 15, 2016 is 8461. The OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Janice M.O. to read the 12 steps. Janice? Good morning, everybody. This is Janice M.O., a grateful, recovered, compulsive reader in Pennsylvania. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive readers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. 
Thank you. Thank you, Janice M.O. I will now ask Nancy T. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Nancy T., a grateful, compulsive overeater in snowy Vermont. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal progress, excuse me, personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Nancy T. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read, Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we will resume our study of the AA Big Book on page 32 in the chapter More About Alcoholism, beginning with the first paragraph, though there is no way of proving it, we believe. 
We're going to read two paragraphs ending with, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years, which is located on the top of page 33. And I'm going to ask that you would share on the second paragraph only. I'm now going to ask Chelsea, Chelsea H., to begin reading. Chelsea? Hi, Sally. Thanks so much for your service. I'm Chelsea H. I'm a recovered compulsive eater just for today. Though there is no way of proving it, we believe that early in our drinking careers, most of us could have stopped drinking. But the difficulty is that few alcoholics have even desired to stop while there is yet time. We have heard of a few instances where people who showed definite signs of alcoholism were able to stop for a long period because of an overpowering desire to do so. Here is one. A man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with more liquor. He was ambitious to succeed in business, but saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control whatever. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55 after a successful and happy business career. Then he fell victim to a belief with which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Out came his carpet slippers in the bottle. In two months, he was in the hospital, puzzled and humiliated. He tried to re regulate his drinking for a while, making several trips to the hospital meantime. Then, gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. Every means of solving his problem, which money could buy, was at his disposal. Every attempt failed. Though a robust man at retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. Okay, set my timer here. I'm still Chelsea, recovered just for today. So the man of 30, for me, this part of the text talks about how controlled eating, trying to control my eating, no matter how great the desire, that I will always have the allergy of the body that dooms me to set the cycle in motion for compulsive eating, and it will ultimately lead to death. So um, what it's telling me here and what it's saying to me is to look into identify. Can I identify with this idea of being able to stop for a long period of time and then be able to think that I'll be able to have some of my binge foods or engage in bulimia or maybe I'll be able to just take half a bottle of liquid laxative, not the whole thing, and I'll be okay, those kinds of things. Or for myself in the rooms, many times I thought by going to the 90 meetings in 90 days, that I would be okay at the end of the 90 days and I'd be able to get a food plan where I could finagle in a couple of the items that I felt as though I might be able to handle. But it didn't matter. By day 91, because of the mental twist, I was doomed to pick up again because I hadn't taken the steps. See, I have to realize that I am this thing first, and that's what this material is telling me. I can't have any kind of thing in the back of my head saying that I'm going to, after I do, 
be able to engage in. It's not going to happen. I will always have the allergy of the body. And I have to first realize that when I take that first bite, that the destructive cycle goes into motion and that no matter what I do in and of myself, I won't be able to stay stopped. I might be successful at stopping, and I will fall victim. I will fall victim. There's the obsession kicking in. It will hijack my mind without my permission, and I will hence be helpless as to what happened next. And what has always been my experience is what has happened. It got worse, never better. Because when I did pick up, because my mind convinced me that this time it's going to be different, I would invariably end up worse, farther off than I was, pulling into even more drive-throughs and eating even more quantities, purging 10, 11, 12 times in just a couple hours, not even the day, just in a couple hours, because I would have just constantly eat, get rid of it, get rid of it, eat, and to me that was my only normal. Self-discipline is not going to help me. Being able to stop for periods of times on diets and things are not going to help me. The only thing, because I'm spiritually bankrupt, that's where the power is. The only thing that can help me is walking through these steps in the spiritual experience or spiritual awakening, as they changed it to, that is sufficient enough to let me no longer think that I could control and enjoy my eating. So I have to be at the end of my rope and believe it in my inner core, in my heart of hearts, no lurking notions. Thanks for letting me share, and with that, I pass. Thanks for sharing, Chelsea. And who else would like to share on this paragraph? This is Melissa share. Melissa I'm sorry, I'm not hearing any names. They're like a Melissa we... Tina S. This is Bella Dyser. Bobby G. Bobby G.? Yes. Okay, I got you. Melissa, Tina, Leah, Bobby G. Who else? Nessa R. Nessa R. Okay. This is Bella. Can I share? Oh, yeah. Bella, thanks. I got you. Mike Mike W. Mike W. Yes, yes. I would like to share. Okay, Mike W. Got you. Okay, let's go with those seven. Melissa A, Tina, Leah M, Bella, Bobby G, Nessa R, and Mike W. Let's go with those. Starting with Melissa. Hi. Good morning. It's Melissa C. Oh, thank you, Melissa. Thank you. That's okay. Thank you. Um, Yeah, good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C, recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, just to quickly refer to the paragraph before, you know, early in my eating career, I, I could have stopped. Um, I don't know, but my desire to stop was sporadic, temporary at best. I could stop maybe long enough to drop some weight, take off some of the pounds, fit in a dress I wanted, maybe diet for an occasion. But then the thought that I could now moderate, you know, after all I proved I could control this, um, you know, look at me, I lost weight. Surely that proved something. And, what I really proved was that, you know, like this man, I fell victim to the belief that after a long period of food sobriety and self-control, um, that this now made me able to eat like other people. You know, I'm thinking about, um, you know, many, many diets I did, but how really in my early 20s when I first came to OA, um, 
I lost 130 pounds in eight months. Um, you know, gray sheet was um, my Bible at that point. It was really all that I took away. Um, and I was abstinent for, you know, almost a few years. And, and you know, now in like a thin, normal body, I fell victim to the belief that I would never allow myself to get fat again. You know, after all, that was the way I measured success, happiness. Everything was about the outward appearance. Um, as soon, though, as I began playing around with the food, especially the sweets, the weight came on so fast, and it was years of trying to get this back under control. You know, money spent, diets tried. More than just the weight, though, came back for me. It was the torment, the crazy thinking, the sneaking, dishonesty, shame, embarrassment. You know, all the weight I lost was regained, um, and then another 50 pounds, and still I kept dieting. I kept trying. I didn't really want to go back to OA, even though, you know, I heard the truth about my allergy, and yet I just wanted to learn how to moderate. Show me how to moderate. Diet after diet, I kept thinking I could get stronger. I could get control of this thing. Um, I'm so lucky I didn't end up dead like that man they're describing here, but I know that this could be my story. You know, today um, I'm abstinent. It's two years. I'm in a recovered state. I'm living completely a life where my higher power is directing me. But if I decide to take my will back today, this morning, the 16th of February, this disease will kill me. You know, I know this. I know I'm not able to eat like other people no matter how long I'm abstinent. And so today I have to do precisely what I did yesterday. And um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. And Tina, it's your turn. And Leah, you'll be up next. Thanks, Sally. Tina S., uh, compulsive eater anorexic in Florida. Uh, you know, I, like everyone else, can really uh, relate to the story. Even though my experience was a little different, the result was always the same. You know, early on in my compulsive eating, you know, as a child, you know, I... I really was just like, this is the way it's going to be for the rest of my life. And then when I got in high school, it was like, okay, let's let's diet, let's follow this these girls and see what they do. Or then when I uh, started playing sports, it was like, okay, I just won't eat and I'll play sports and I'd get my my desired effect at the time was weight loss. So I got that. And then you know, and then ultimately um, when I started drinking, that was my greatest diet so therefore I would not eat because I didn't want to ruin the buzz so I kept the weight off like many many people through you know diet pills booze laxatives water pills whatever it was what was ever handy at the time and then once I quit doing that stuff you know I'd go on these binges and then the weight would come on and um you know and then I went to treatment and for nine months you know, uh, everything was fabulous, you know, because I got the food plan and I was following it because, you know, I can do this deal, you know, I, I can do it, I'm on a mission. And then, you know, again, you know, life started to happen and I wasn't, you know, again, uh, the allergy of the body, you know, uh, I was not taking care of the mind whatsoever because in my mind, you know, I, spirituality, what they were talking about was religion to me, that's the way I interpreted it. And I tried that, that did not work. You know, and I too, you know, um, the other day I celebrated, you know, this is my, my story, you know, I'm also in another program, I celebrated 23 years sober yesterday, but the night before I had a dream about 
compulsively eating and then not eating for weeks. And it woke me up. You know, I was like, oh, my God. Thank you, God, that I have a way of life today, that I don't have to do any of that stuff that I did, that I can rely on a power greater than myself, which restores me to sanity one day at a time like it was shared, and I can live a life beyond my wildest dreams. And, and, and I don't have to die like this man did. And, and that's what we're learning here today. So thanks, and I pass. Thank you, Tina S. And Leah, it's your turn. And Bella, you'll be up next. Thanks so much, Sally. Uh, just taking a look at, you know, he made up his mind. He would not touch another drop. Then he fell victim to a belief which practically every alcoholic has that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Um, you know, I don't know about your disease. I can certainly tell you about my career of compulsive overeating that I had stopped, you know, thousands of times. The point was, how do you stay stopped? Um, yes, I, you know, have history of self-discipline and history of making up my mind that I would not touch another drop of certain substances, but uh, the problem with someone like me, a real compulsive overeater, is that when I abstain from my binge foods, when I'm off from them for a while, I begin to feel very uncomfortable. I start to feel impatient, on edge, uh, deprived, restless, irritable, and discontent. And those feelings, those thoughts start to crowd my mind. And no, it wasn't 25 years of sobriety for me. But whatever it was, months, uh, a year perhaps, those thoughts get so loud uh, that I have to shut them up. And the only way I know how to shut them up and get relief is to pick up that first bite. And the big book calls that the obsession of the mind and that that is my main problem. My real problem is my mind that eventually at some point I break. There's a mental click that gives me permission. It persuades me, convinces me to pick up that first bite of my trigger food, foods that are killing me, and of course, I end up going on a spree immediately or at some point, and that's exactly what the story conveys. After 25 years of sobriety, he felt that now he could drink like other people, and based on that lie, he picked up a drink, and it triggered the allergy, and he's dead within four years. So is this guy's real problem the fact that he has a physical allergy to alcohol? No. His real problem is that he is a form of insanity that tells him it's okay to take that first drink. He believed a lie, and of course he makes a decision based on that lie, and then it triggers a phenomenon of craving, and that is my history, and that's why Chapter 3 is so important, because it's talking about the insanity that takes control of us before we pick up that first bite, and that's exactly the education that I needed from this text. I needed to understand that it's not the allergy, the body that's my true uh, greater aspect of my disease. My greater aspect is that I'm doomed because of the mental obsession that sends me back to those foods which are killing me. And until I understood that, I did not understand the urgency and necessity for the steps because the steps are designed to relieve me of that mental obsession, the greater aspect of my disease. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah M. And Bella, it's your turn, and Bobby G., you'll be up next. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella G., and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Sally, 
for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, this paragraph is exactly for me, and I can say I was that man. I remember one of my experiences to lose weight. I went to a doctor, to a very nice doctor, and he gave me a diet. He really gave me a diet, what to eat and how much to eat, and I lost a lot of weight. And this time I was sure I had such a willpower, and I wanted so much to prove to myself and to everybody that this time you will see I can keep the weight down. And no, it didn't work, and I don't even knew then why, how it happened. I was so strong, and I believed so much. This time you will see I, I will keep my weight down. It didn't work out. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that now I am in the program. And now that I leave the 12 steps, I know that, yes, I am a compulsive overeater, and I have an allergy in the, in the, in the body. And, yes, I cannot put in my alcoholic food. And as soon as I put my alcoholic food, that's it. I, I, I don't have control, and I just, I just gain weight. And thank you, God, now that I leave the 12 steps, yes, I am connected to a loving, accepting power. And I know I am not connected to my willpower. I have one power to choose. And today, this minute, I choose to be connected to a loving, accepting power. And he controls my life and he directs me. And yes, I have an obsession in the mind. And... As soon as I don't put my allergy food into, into my mouth, yes, this obsession just just gone. And I still I am connected to my higher power that I need his help and I need his support 24-7. Thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Bella. And Bobby G, it's your turn. And Nessa R, you'll be up next. Good morning. It's Bobby G. from Toronto. Uh, This is my first time sharing. Um, I was in program for many years and was abstinent, and um, I left because it was too much work and I was too busy, don't you know, and I didn't feel like going to meetings and doing the work. So I left for four years, and uh, slowly the food started coming back, and foods that I hadn't eaten in years, and I knew something was wrong, and I came back to program. And I've been back ever since. And um, what has changed this time is recently someone took me through the big book. And uh, we did the steps, or I did the steps, and I've been listening to Vision for You. And then again, um, I realized I needed to make some changes. And I made a change recently. And I had a craving yesterday like I haven't had in 30 years. And... uh, I made a call and uh, to another visionary, and she explained to me that God was filling the hole that was there from the food. And I just want to thank you, thank everyone for being on the call, and I pass. Thank you, Bobby G. And Nessa R., it's your turn, and Mike W., you'll be up next. Hi, good morning. My name is Nessa R., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, I really like this story because it really drives the point home. Actually, two points. 
Um, one is that there's no length of time that will ever qualify me to eat like a like a normal eater. You know, I I haven't had um, chocolate for over five years. Does that mean that I can now go and have you know one piece? And the answer is no. I'll never be able to have just one piece. You know, it will start with one piece, but it will not end with one piece. And the other point that this shows is that. You know, um, over time we get worse, never better, even if we are abstinent or even even if we're recovered. I mean, this this guy uh, didn't drink for 25 years, and when he started, just judging for how quickly he deteriorated, he didn't pick up where he left off 25 years ago. He picked up where he would have been if he had never stopped for those 25 years. Um, you know, the, 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 the disease kept progressing behind the scenes and, you know, he deteriorated quickly and, you know, there before the grace of God and the steps go I, you know, the same thing can happen to me, notwithstanding my over four years of recovery, um, you know, it can be four or 40 years of recovery, it doesn't really matter, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the food is always there, as they say. Uh, the disease is in the behind the scenes doing push-ups. And I can have no lurking notion that one day I will be immune because this is not a cure. This is a temporary respite uh, based upon my continuing to work the steps and practicing these principles in all my affairs. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa. And Mike W., it's your turn. Yeah, hi, my name's Mike. I'm a compulsive eater. Um, can you hear me? I sure can. Take it away. Okay, good. Yeah, Mike, sometimes my phone doesn't work quite well, and I'm not used to the music. I'm muted. Um, one thing I related to in this whole chapter, in this whole paragraph, you know, what we were reading is the insidiousness of the disease. It's not, there's, there's always a part of me, I think, that no matter how much I work this stuff, managing the program that's going to want to eat compulsively, that's going to want to self-destruct myself with food, that's going to feel that food is a solution and not for whatever holds inside me. And the mind, you know, without having that spiritual intervention, is going to fit my own mind left of its own devices. I'll speak for myself. I'll end up thinking of ways where all of a sudden it won't be as bad anymore, particularly when I used to do a lot of dieting and eating, my first stint in LA, which was about 12 years ago, I would kind of get to a point where the weight was at a certain level, and I would feel like, oh, I can have a little of this, or oh, I can have a little of that, or oh, I can nibble at this, or whatever. And it just, you know, and it's not so much that I gain weight, it starts my behavior and my thinking in a way that isn't healthy. If my food isn't clean, the rest of my life isn't clean. The rest of my life starts getting sloppy and gets disorganized and all over the place. And um you know, so and that's what I've had to work on. I mean, and I, and that's really what I've understood this time coming around. And I've been in OA, you know, three years. It hasn't abstinent, um, you know. But at times, even though I've been abstinent, there can be times where I'm sloppier than others, where I don't monitor my portions the way I'd like to. And that's you know when things sort of come in in a subtle way, and um, where behaviors happen, or I'm just not really thinking in terms of what I can do for other people. I'm in that sort of self-centered bind of how the world can serve me and why the world isn't treating me better and how how I'm a victim of things. So, you know, and that's kind of how I look at it, you know, and that's really kind of 
but always given me. I mean, I'm a good, you know, and I've been in 12-step programs for a long time, but this one I've been to more recently, and it's really kind of given me a deeper understanding of things. Um, you know, I don't think of OA or the Big Book as being the solution to every problem, but I do think in terms of dealing with addiction, it's really one of the best, clearest forms of how I can get at the core and condition of, of who and what I am. And that's what I get out of the reading of it. That's what I have to watch out for. And really kind of keep up front that no matter what goes on in my life, you know, going back to the way I was eating or just or not monitoring my eating isn't going to solve anything. It's just going to make it worse. You know, that, that you know, that's not the, that, that's what I have to keep up front first. And then the rest of the steps come in in terms of me learning how to grow and change. And it's ongoing. There's things I've been, you know, so, um, that's it for me. Thanks. Thank you, Mike. Who else would like to share on this paragraph? Penny C. Katie G. from Boston. Alice M. Alice M. Reva P. Reva P. Anyone else before we move on? Okay, Penny C. Katie G, Alice M, and Reva P. Penny, take it away. Good morning. Thanks, Sally, and thank you, everybody who's come to this meeting this morning. I'm Penny C, and recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. I I um, I treasure this this story and this this long paragraph. For me, it's such a, a welcomed warning. Someone told me very early on in OA that the big book was full of promises. She hesitated and she said, and lots of warnings. Pay attention to the warnings. And and here's a very, very blatant warning that no matter how long I've been abstinent, no matter how long I've been living in the steps, if I think for one minute that any of those many, many, almost three decades of 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 working these steps and 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 being abstinent is going to do any good for me if I decide to just try one of the foods that I know is alcoholic to me, then I'm doomed, and I better believe it. Just like this man of thirty who ends up dying, but there's a little. A um, little hint here that he said he's just gonna do do um, stop drinking so he'll have a lucrative business career, and he's got that that um, idea in mind that once he retires, there'll be no no having to you know be abstinent, be be sober anymore. And he planned his own demise, as I can see it. So I, I really, you know, like the idea that I cannot become complacent. I cannot rest on my laurels. Every single day is a new experience, and I need to trust God. You know, help others, and and stay stay abstinent, and and um. And, and this is this is all all I need to do day after day. Nothing any different. Uh, just one more thing. 
I even have people, not my family, because with my family and friends, I'm credible and nobody nobody ever says, why don't you have it? You deserve it. You've been abstinent for so long. But people who don't know will say to me, yeah, but you've been you've been so good for so long. You deserve you deserve to have a piece of this birthday cake. They just don't understand, and I have to remember that they just don't understand. They they're well-meaning people, and so I will do that. I'll keep close to God and uh, to other members, other recovered members, and 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 all members, and um, help others and and stay abstinent. Thanks. Thanks, Tammy C. And Katie G., it's your turn, and Alice M., you'll be up next. Hey, Sally, it's Katie G. Can you hear me? I sure can. Awesome. Good morning, everyone. Katie G., recovered compulsive reader, anorexic, and bulimic for today, and I'm just so grateful uh, to be on the line. And um, what this story reminds me is one of the first lies I ever told myself as a little girl. If I'm just thin, I'm going to be okay. Because if I'm thin, I'm going to get the boy, and I'm going to get the marriage, and I'm going to get the popularity, and I'm going to get the stuff, right? So once I get the stuff, I'm okay, right? And what do the ABCs teach me? A, that I'm a compulsive overeater and I cannot manage my own life, and B, that no human power. Because here's the thing, guys. You know, I've been in the program, sorry for the background noise, I have been in the program for 12 years, I had a period of abstinence of eight years, I worked the steps, and I picked up again. Why? Because I can very easily, if I am not careful, go back into the fact that I am abstinent today and forget that God is doing it for me, and I'm abstinent today, and let me exercise a little more, and I'm abstinent today, and let me lie and leave work and be paid for my quote-unquote job, my profession, um, while I'm exercising addictively. Right, and that's my behavior as an abstinent woman in recovery. I don't think so. You know, that is not recovered behavior, you know, and I can slip into that. Well, I'm in a thin body now. You know, my life looks kind of normal now. I am crazy in the head. I am crazy in the head, and I could go for eight years, no flour, no sugar, but get so filled up with self that and dishonesty right because the only way to pick up the food is if i'm lying to myself that i can rationalize justify and defend you know what this one thing isn't going to hurt me and here's how and that one thing is always innocuous you know like i had the um privilege of i'm uh engaged to be married and everybody at work um is like oh well you're gonna have cake on your wedding day no There is no cake for this person. You know why? Because, you know, having a wedding ring on my finger does not change anything. I am a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety, right? I have a disease. And B, no human power is ever going to fix me. And I, it doesn't matter if I'm 110 pounds or 228 pounds, nothing's going to change me. I have to seek this program with the desperation of a drowning man. I must every single day which means a couple things, right? It means entire abstinence. It means connecting to God. And how do I get to God? By working a disciplined program and practicing the steps so that God can relieve me of the bondage of me that is the person that's constantly seeking things to fix me and help me clean house, keep it clean, and help others. And what a privilege it is today to be a sick yet recovered member of of Overeaters Anonymous 
and pursuing this like a drowning woman. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Katie G. And Alice M., it's your turn. And Reva P., you'll be up next. Thank you, Sally. Good morning. This is Alice M., a uh, food addict and bulimic from Florida. And this chapter has always been the most powerful one for me in the big book. And the reason for that is because I identify so closely to the stories in here. Um, it was, you know, from the age of 15, not 15, from the age of 19 to 34, 15-year period, I was hopelessly caught up in this addictive cycle of bulimia, binging and puking, and had um, lost a lot of things, had to pull out of college a couple times, and lost a career um, to go to, you know, I went to inpatient treatment four times, you know, a 30 to 90-day period. Um, and then um, suddenly I stopped binging and vomiting, and I didn't have any program at all. Don't get me wrong here. I, I walked away from what little program I was hanging on to in the first place. I decided, you know, I'm done. I'm just, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, um, I went a period of 12 years without binging and vomiting. And I thought I was cured. During that time, I, I, I found a, a, a man. I got married. I had a baby. And, um, and I just, at the end of that period, I just, I never even thought about it. The obsession was lifted from me. I was eating anything I wanted to eat and dieting, things like that. But I was not binging and vomiting. That was what was killing me. That was the only thing I wanted to abstain from. And I was honest um, about that. I was abst I called myself abstinent because I was not binging and puking. And then one night, 12 years later, I picked up. You know, I picked up and I binged and I puked. And, and it was... Um, it didn't, it didn't trip me off into the addiction. And, and that right there, I thought, oh, we'll see. I, it's, everything's different. I'm, my body is just total cellular, different cellular makeup. I've had a baby and everything. A couple, couple weeks later, again, a couple weeks later, again, within 11 months, I was hopelessly addicted, hopelessly addicted. My life was a freaking mess, so unmanageable. My husband and my daughter were in my way. And within, from the time I picked up in May, um, 14 months later, there I was, um, unable to get abstinent on my own. I had gone to a lot of little three- and five-day workshops to try to get abstinent, came back, would get periods and not, and had to surrender to going inpatient treatment again at the age of 48 with a 12-year-old daughter now at home. My life fell apart. And I tell you, now I have 20, minutes, 20 months since... Um, since the last time I binged and vomited, and that thinking comes back into my head again. You know, well, now you've been working the steps out. Now it may be different, but I have the experience. I have the evidence and the facts of my past that, uh, that I don't listen to that bill of sale anymore today. And I thank you. I pass. Thank you, Alice M. and Reba P. You're up next. And then Martha Z., I'm going to ask you to go on to the next paragraph. Good morning. This is Reva P., Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. This paragraph reminds me um, and explains to me, and I'm amazed how many pages are devoted still to step one, because I think for um, many of us, it takes a long time to really admit, even just admit, not necessarily accept, that I am what they're describing. Um, so for me, I know I'm a real compulsive overeater, which means 
it's not only the food that's the problem. Because if it was only the food that was the problem, I could be like other moderate eaters um, and just have a moderate amount, have everything in moderate amounts, like they told me at an eating disorders clinic, um, and then I'd be fine. But that's not my problem because the way it was shared before, when I put the food down, my mind goes crazy. First of all, I can't stop thinking about the food, what I'd like to eat that I'm not eating, and my mind is so busy. Um, Also, when the food is down and I'm a dry drunk, I get angry, I get resentful, and I get scared. And without working the steps, I don't have a way to deal with that. I cannot feel at ease in my own skin. And the only solution that I can see is to pick up food. So I have this kind of allergy. The allergy will never go away the rest of my life. And that's what they're showing here. They're giving me all the people who've done research and development, you know, and if I sit around, work the steps, and stay at meetings long enough, I see lots of people going out there doing research who try it another easier, softer way, and it doesn't work. And as it says on page 80 which I read every morning to remind myself, I'm not cured. We use this word recovered, but that doesn't mean cured. It doesn't mean I've been, you know, dry for X amount and I go back and eat whatever I want. It means I have a daily reprieve. And my daily reprieve is contingent on maintaining a spiritual condition. So if I do the step work that I did yesterday, if I do it today, I get the same results. If I don't, then I don't. Um, And they make it really simple in this big book, and they really know who I am because they repeat the same message over and over and over. I will never be a cucumber. I have become a pickle. And uh, thank you, God, there's a program for people like me. With that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. And Martha Z, would you please read for us the next paragraph? We're at the top of page 33, folks. And Martha, I'll ask you to read the first paragraph, the first full paragraph on page 33. Good morning, Sally. Can you hear me? I sure can. Thank you. This is Martha Z. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God from near Philadelphia. This case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if we remained sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. But here is a man who at 55 years found he was just where he had left off at 30. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in a short time as bad as ever. If we're planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. Good morning, friends in recovery. Um, let me see what I want to say here. I I remember um, when I was younger, before I was in the program, that I I would there were a few times that I got to my goal weight, and I when I got there, I would say, now I can have dessert for lunch or dinner, and I had. When I was dieting, I wasn't eating any of my allergic foods. I had no idea of what they were in the first place, but I wasn't eating those things that would set me off. But then, you know, now I can have dessert. And I would 
have dessert for lunch or dinner and be um, at my goal weight for about five minutes. As soon as I picked that up, I was gone. I was done and back up. And I had no clue. I happened a couple times, and I just, I just did not understand. And um, anyway, I just thought that I could do that. I thought I could have it now. And um, then it says, commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in a short time as bad as ever. And I, you know, they talk about in the program that our disease progresses. And by the grace of God, yesterday I, I celebrated my 27th anniversary of living in recovery. And um, I, it scares me to death to think about where I would be if my disease was progressed for 27 years from where I left off. Because where I left off, I was in a very dark pit. And um, I was thinking about that yesterday morning. And I, what I was thinking about was the day I went to treatment, it was pouring rain and it was dark. The sky was black. And um, my two little girls were in the basement. We were with my father and brother. They were taking us to the airport. And um, my older daughter was sobbing. And I left. And, you know, now I'm on the plane. And it's, it's pouring rain. And I'm thinking, dear God, like, what if I don't even get there? And it takes me so back to Bill's story because um, it says, you know, how dark it was before the dawn. And those, I mean, that was my exact experience. I had no idea that everything was going to change. So I, I'm so grateful for that and grateful that, that you've been part of this journey. Thank you for that. And I, by the grace of God, I have no lurking notion that someday I'll be immune to my binge foods. I am, I'm very grateful I don't have that reservation, but I love that word lurking. So anyway, thank you so much for being part of my journey and um, for letting me give service. I pass. Thank you, Martha Z. And we have time for two shares. Lynn S. Kim G. Kim G. Lynn S. Gotcha. Okay, Lynn S. and then Kim G. Go ahead, Lynn. Good morning. This is Lynn S. from Toronto. This is really reminding me of um, my history of eating lost my first mm-hmm. pounds at 16, and from there until I came into the program 20 years later, it was not learning this powerful lesson. It was eating and binging and dieting and eating and binging and dieting and restricting. Since I came into program, I was abstinent for 17 years, and then I had an eight-year relapse. And the relapse was different than than thinking I could control the food. I knew I couldn't control the food, and I knew I would never be a normal eater, but I didn't care. I wanted to eat anyway because I thought somewhere back there I really did think I'll stop sometime. Surely to God, after 17 years and knowing the program, I know more than I knew when I was out, you know, before program, and I will stop sometime. And at the end of the eight years, what happened was I didn't think I'd ever be able to stop again. And I'm understanding now more because I kept fighting it, saying, I know I'm not a normal eater. I know I'll never be a normal eater. But somehow I'm going to be able to stop. And this, you know, it's right here that someday we will be immune to alcohol. And I hope, dear God, now that I have learned this powerful lesson, that I will never, ever be immune to my binge foods and my binge behaviors. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Lynn S. 
And Kim G, and there is somebody who's not muted. If you could please check your phone, be sure that you're muted. Kim G. Good morning, Sally. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. If, that's a big word, if you, we are planning to stop drinking, there must be no reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. You know, this is really slamming home the idea that the allergy is a permanent condition. It's a permanent condition. And I just want to compare this because I do have other allergies. You know, when I was an infant, I had penicillin, and I had a bad reaction to it. My mother was told, don't ever let her have penicillin anymore. And I have to tell you, I don't go through this conversation in my head when I'm sick with a doctor saying, you know what, I'm allergic to penicillin. But, you know, maybe there's a threshold. Maybe if you only give me two milligrams of penicillin and eight milligrams of whatever else you want to give me, maybe I'm going to be okay. You know, when I broke my ankle three years ago and I was taken to the, to the hospital and I was in the worst pain I was ever in, and I said to the people in the ambulance, I said, listen, I think I might pass out from this pain. I need to tell you I am allergic to penicillin. I am that convinced that I am allergic to penicillin. And let me tell you, I was an infant when I had that reaction. I don't even know what the reaction is. Yet when it comes to food, I have had consequence after consequence after consequence, experience after experience after experience. And yet I still go through that, I, that conversation in my head. Well, maybe, maybe it'll be different this time. Maybe if it's a different brand. Maybe if it's organic. Maybe if it's from Whole Foods. Maybe I have a threshold and I can have a little bit in something. But why is that? So if I have to have no lurking notion, what's the difference between my allergy to penicillin and my allergy to my binge foods? The difference is I don't have to. I'm sorry, there's someone unmuted who's talking in the background. Where was it? Kim, I'm going to mute the line and then you can wrap it. Okay? Okay, sorry. Go ahead and continue. Okay. So what is the difference? I do not have to go to a room called Penicillin Anonymous to discuss the fact that I don't want to have penicillin because there's no lurking notions. I have the sanity of mind to do that when it comes to penicillin. The reason I come to Overeaters Anonymous is because the only way that I'm able to maintain no reservation of any kind, no lurking notion, is because I have to treat the mental twist the mental blind spot that's always going to convince me that this time is different. So I must be convinced, no lurking notions of any kind, but I must understand that in order to have that state, I'm going to need to work these steps, get a connection with the power, because otherwise my mind will convince me that I can have that first bite. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And we've got time for one more short share of the film of the burning desire. Okay, let's go ahead and close the meeting. Thank you to everyone who has shared. I would like to invite you to please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following our closing. And we will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. I will ask Lisa H. to please read for us a vision for you, beginning with, our book is meant to be suggestive only. 
Thank you, Sally. Um, this is Lisa H., um, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Tennessee. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.